Welcome back to Holy Trinity Deep Dive. I'm Abby. In this episode, I will be analyzing chapters of Trash of the Count's Family. Trash of the Count's Family is a Korean web novel following the life of a transmigrator after he falls asleep reading The Birth of a Hero and becomes a character in the novel. Transmigration is when the soul goes into a different body. Trash of the Count's Family begins with the prologue, where we're introduced to the protagonist as he wakes up in the novel The Birth of a Hero, a novel focused on the adventures of the main character, Jae-An, a high school boy who was transported to a different dimension from Earth, along with the birth of numerous heroes of the continent. The main character wakes up to saying, Young Master, it is morning, which turns out to be the butler of the body he transmigrated into. And then after he gets his bearings on the situation and he realizes he's been transmigrated into Kale's body, the trash of the Count's family, we learn his previous name was Kim Roksu. And then this early, we already got hints at his past life not being the most normal. Because when he wakes up, he's thinking, do people usually become calmer when they are surprised and shocked? Kale? No, Kim Roksu calmly thought about the night before. Because who suddenly wakes up in someone else's body, realizes you're actually in a novel, and then just calmly thinks about what they're doing the night before. I'm really interested to learn what his past is. And then when he's thinking about the day before, he's thinking it's a typical day off, and it had been a while since he'd read an actual book instead of something on his phone. He went to the library to check out some books, and he ended up borrowing the entire series since he planned to read all day long. The name of that book was, of course, The Birth of a Hero. He had managed to finish the first volume before he fell asleep, but when he woke up, he had turned into Kaehunituse, which ended up being the individual that Chehan mercilessly beat up in volume one. And even after that had registered with him, he, if anything, got even calmer after completely understanding the situation. He said he felt unnaturally calm once he got past the point of shock. His mind had calmed down. He started to remember the contents of Volume 1. In this moment, I was thinking one of two things. He had either dealt with situations like this in the past, or he was totally underestimating what was going on. But we get a bit of background about The Birth of a Hero. It was a novel about the birth of the heroes in the Western and Eastern continents, as well as their trials and growth. The main character was naturally Korean. He was a student who had been transported into the world when he was a freshman in high school. Furthermore, his lifespan became as long as a dragon's lifespan making him pretty much never age. So Kim Roksu, now known as Kale, is starting to think about what she should do. He's thinking, will things go the same as the novel? Like, And then he's, he said this one line, which super short, but I thought it was funny. 
He's like, he's saying, is this bad questioningly? Like, what do you think? Personally, I think going into a novel where you know bad things are going to happen and you're supposed to get beat up, I think that's pretty bad. But the important thing to Kim Roksu was that he hadn't been beaten to a pulp yet. So after Kim Roksu looked in the mirror and accepted that he was Kale, he started to think if he'd miss anything. And while he was doing that, he said, it's not like I'll miss much. Because his life as Kim Roksu, there wasn't much to it. He was an orphan, didn't have that much money, didn't have any close relationships or people he would die for. So he said he continued to live because he could not die, which is such a sad way to live, not having any hopes, no aspirations, nothing to live for. You just don't see the point in dying, but there's no point in living either. He completely hated the thought of death or pain, and he became an orphan after both of his parents passed away from a car accident when he was little. He said that he'd prefer rolling in dog poop rather than being dead. He'd rather be at the lowest of lows than be dead, which is pretty admirable in itself because most people would just give up. We also learned that Kale's butler, Ron, was actually an assassin from the eastern continent across the sea. So Kale decided, I'm going to stop acting like trash around him, butler's name is Ron, and be nice to him so he doesn't decide to kill me. This is also when he decides to pursue getting some ancient powers. Kim Roksu, now known as Kale, goes to breakfast with his family, where he says, while they might find him troublesome or annoying, it's the perfect family for him because they are rich. And he lives by the saying, live long without pain, enjoying the small joys of life, and living a peaceful life. So he plans to avoid the oncoming war. And then actually at the breakfast, he started smiling, which was very out of character for Kale. And he was just so happy because the food looked so good. Which again, makes me wonder about his past circumstances. Because while good food makes everyone happy, I don't think to the point they can't stop smiling because of their overwhelming joy. He also enjoyed the unknown fruits that he ate very much. And he surprises his family when he says the food tastes good because the original kale was known to hate everything and say everything was horrible and unworthy for him. So when he says the food tastes good and his family like gasps in shock and surprise, he thinks they're annoyed with his lack of manners. And he also says to his father, Deruse, Yes, please, make sure you eat a lot as well, father, which again causes everyone to be shocked, and when they gasp, he takes it as disdain towards himself. And then he asks for an allowance, and when he's asked for this, he's thinking, yeah, I'm shameless and I know it. Like He thinks so badly of himself. And then he is given 10 million kailon, which is about equivalent to 100 million Korean won, which is... $7,702 in USD. So he then asked to go to the study, which, again, for how intelligent or seemingly intelligent he is, he's very clueless sometimes. 
because after a certain point, he refused to go to his classes, and his study room hadn't been cleaned in years. And his butler, Ron, the assassin, is super weirded out by his behavior. So he then asks Ron the date, and he says it's the 29th day of the third month in the 781st year of the Felix calendar. Kale's quite disappointed when he learns that, because it's one day after the villagers of Harris, the village that the main character, Che-An, went to after escaping from the dark forest, got destroyed. It's the place that Che-An felt human affection for the first time in this world, made friends, created a second family, and then they were all murdered by an unknown group of assassins. After thinking about this, Kale clenched onto the 10 million gallon in his pocket once more, thinking the only thing he could trust was money. I found this really hilarious, but honestly, wouldn't we all be like this in this circumstance if all we had to rely on was money? And then again, when he sees Ron's benign and gentle smile, it causes Kale to have the chills. He once again clenches on to the 10 million calon check for support, thinking money is all he could trust. Then in the study, he's thinking about how this world is like a mulum, a land with so many hermit experts everywhere, where a chef could be a poison expert, and a person working at a repair shop could be someone who viciously killed people with his wires. That's just the type of land this was. We then get a bit of insight to Kale's relationship with Ron's son, Pikroxe. Because while he's eating this really well-cooked but still juicy piece of steak, he asks Hans, his personal butler, who made it, and the second he hears it's Pikroxe, he suddenly loses his appetite. We learn this is because Pikroxe actually specializes in torture, and he's also obsessed with cleanliness and sharpening his spotless blade every day and using that same sword to slice the heads of his enemies off their bodies. So honestly, most of that is embellished by Kale's fear of everything. So once the study's cleaned, Kale decides to write everything he remembers in Korean and then burn it, stating that he remembers everything. That was a moment where I was like, if you remember everything, why'd you even write it down in the first place? It was like he was mimicking the actions a normal human would take, but he didn't need to. It's then that he states his plan to get Che-An to leave with Pikroxe and Ron like they did in the original novel. Because he wants to live long without dying, and he had no intentions of fighting. So he doesn't want to get involved with the future hero of the continent. But he still wants to be decently strong so that he can protect himself. So in order to achieve that goal, the first step was raising his defenses. Second was finding a recovery method. Third was being faster than anybody else. Fourth was a strength that does not hurt him but can kill others. 
when I was reading that, I was thinking, Kale, you do realize if you get all of those things, you're gonna be strong. Like, how are you supposed to avoid fighting if you're gonna be known to be strong? Again, super smart, but sometimes very dense. But he decides to first pick up the shield to raise his defenses. But before that, he goes to the fragrance of tea with poetry, which is a tea shop where you read poems while drinking tea. Firstly, he goes there because the owner is actually the bastard son of a concubine of the Merchant Guild. And it's a possibility he will become the owner of the Merchant Guild. And he was involved with Che-An in The Birth of the Hero. And secondly... The seat in the innermost corner of the third floor showed the perfect view where you could best see the northern gate of the western city, which is where Kale planned to watch as Jayon is chased from the gate for not having any identification. And we learn that most of Jayon's life was spent trying to survive in the forest of darkness which made him mature in a slightly twisted way, and he was way more rational than anyone would expect after such an incident. Che-An comes here because he wants to report to the Count that Harrison Village is the village that got slaughtered. While it might be a remote village, it is still under Count Hanitus's jurisdiction. So... Cheon headed to the western city, hoping to at least prepare a small funeral for the villagers. So when Kale decides to get the indestructible shield, he buys all the bread from a baker and tells him to bag it up. The location to earn this ancient power is located in the slums. And as Kale says it is a fateful encounter that you can earn by sharing with the poor which unfortunately was not the case this time because kale goes there knowing what he'll get out of it so he's not actually there to give food to the poor but he goes to the manning tree but is warned by two children from the slums that had followed him and they were telling him he would die this man-eating tree had a history so that when anyone hung themselves on this tree they became mummies overnight and any blood that lands on this tree instantly disappears there was only dirt around this tree grass and even weeds were nowhere to be found as it turns out a long time ago during ancient times there was a person who loved food so much that his gluttony and the place of worship got him kicked out that person ended up starving to death and this tree is said to have grown on top of its body, and that person's grudge and strength were both in this tree. The indestructible shield that Kale was looking for was here. So Kale uses the bread to feed this dark hole at the bottom that wasn't caused by shadow, but caused by the grudge of the owner. So once it becomes light and he eats that light, the indestructible shield will become Kale's. And then... An odd cry seemed to resonate from the tree, and it seemed to be saying that it was hungry and asking for more food. And Kale felt like this darkness might suddenly reach out and grab him, and he said, It's kind of scary. 
And it's really funny how he gets scared so easily by everything. He also states, as if with personal experience, probably with how he seems to be and how his past seems to be, that the children of the slums have no fear. It was because they treasured a single grain of rice more than a blade coming their way. Death is always around them, so they do not fear death. They fear being hungry more than death. So he tells the kids if they keep quiet, he'll bring them some more bread tomorrow. And he goes back to the tea shop to kill off time before Cheon arrives. And then once he's able to kill off that time, he actually goes to a bar to get alcohol. Because he's like, I can't do this if I'm not drunk. There's no way this is too stressful. And he's also thinking during this. When someone's insulted, do they get more offended if you insult them once or multiple times? And he's like, of course it's later. If you insult them five or six times, that's going to be the most annoying. So it's funny. He's like, how many times can I assault Cheon without getting hit like the novel? But he's still deathly afraid of getting hit by Cheon. And while he grabbed the alcohol, he also grabbed a bag of chicken because he remembered from the novel when Che An jumps over the wall, a baby kitten is body slammed by the alpha cat of the neighborhood and gets sent tumbling to the city wall. And then Che An quickly twists his body to avoid landing on the kitten, proving how good of a guy he really is. Even after going through all of that and him surviving in the forest of darkness for probably decades. And then the people he finally becomes close with get murdered. He still cares about animals and life. But because of this, he twists his ankle because he's so exhausted from traveling to the western city. And his body has reached the limit. So Kale uses the cats almost as a way to get Cheon to trust him by feeding them the chicken breast. After this, he gets Cheon to fall back to his estate. The whole time he's thinking, oh my god, he's gonna take me hostage and threaten my life if anything goes slightly wrong. Like every single time Cheon looks at him, he's like, oh, he starts like freaking sweating out of nervousness. And it's so funny because he's so nervous about this, but he's like, I gotta do it for my slacker life. And the way he gets Cheon to follow him is by offering him food. And Kale said the best first impression was to be the one who provides delicious food. Once again, hinting at his sad background because he values food so much. So after he gets Cheon to follow him, he stopped by the knights at his estate because there's a sketchy guy following the eldest son of the count they serve, and they care very much about their reputation. And then when he gets there, Ron had actually been waiting for Kale outside the door, which scared the hell out of him. He was like, oh my god, you've got to be kidding me, this crazy psycho. This is where he immediately wants to introduce Cheon to P. Kroxe because he's like, they supposedly got along in the birth of a hero and I want them both out of my life so go on you guys can leave which is it's really funny so Kale leads Ron and 
Cheon to Kitchen 2 where Pico Roxy is. And Kale compliments Pico Roxy's cooking, which is something the original Kale had never done. So Pico Roxy was super surprised, but also happy though not really showing it. To the point where the tip of Pico Roxy's knife slightly shook. And after Kale leaves, basically patting himself on the back for a job well done. In the last two paragraphs of chapter 7, it states he did not know that P. Croxy's cookie knife slashed towards Jayon's neck and that Ron's sharp dagger was flung towards Jayon's heart. Of course, both of their attacks failed. Well, this was actually a situation that nobody other than the three involved individuals would know about. After that, we changed to Deputy Butler Han's point of view, where he's standing in front of Count Druse, where he starts to make his report. This part I found kind of creepy, because the Count doesn't do anything about Kale's behavior, but he's practically stalking him and getting updates from Kale's other butler, Hanse. And then Hanse even asked if he should put a tail on Kale. And I was like, do you even love your son to the point where you can't talk to him and you have to just have people follow him around and watch him instead? And the Count even says, no need. As long as he is in the city, anything he does is under my authority to handle. It's like, the Count doesn't care that much about what Kale's behavior is or what's spurring it. It's just like he doesn't want any repercussions for it, which in my opinion doesn't seem like very good parenting. But he does learn about Kale's little trip to the tea shop. It is like, bring me some information about the Flynn Merchant Guild because the owner of the tea shop, Pangol, is the bastard son of the Flynn Merchant Guild. And the Hentunise's largest trading partner for wine was the Flynn Merchant Guild. Then the next morning when Kale gets up, he notices that Ron has a mark on his neck. And when Ron said he was scratched by Cat's Claw, Kale goes, yeah, that cat's another innocent person you killed. We know it's Chayon's mark that he left from them fighting, but Kale doesn't know that. He is none the wiser. So he heads out. And the second he opens the door, he slams it back shut, turns around, says Ron... And then Ron goes, young master, were you surprised? Your guest from yesterday is waiting for you outside. This is another time where Kale grabs the 10 million Kalons in his pocket and calms him down using the money. Because Ron's like, I didn't have a chance to tell you because you opened the door right away. Kale's thinking, didn't have a chance to tell me my ass. So he goes out there, talks to Cheon. And Jayon says that he wants to pay him back for what he did. And Kale's like, pay you back. There is no way. He doesn't actually say this, but he's thinking, there's no way. You're trying to give me a heart attack? No one in their right mind would use you for manual labor. Especially me. I was supposed to get beat up by you. Instead, Kale tells him, I have a talented deputy butler that will take care of almost any of your normal requests. And then just sends him off with Ron to take care of whatever he needs. Because Kale does not want to be involved with Cheon or Ron. 
The next chapter begins with Kale heading back to the slums with a bag twice the size of yesterday's bag. He gives the kids two bags and surprise, surprise, it's not bread, it's meat and cake. For being the type of person who doesn't really like to get involved with things and says, oh, I hate people who are nosy, he's quite the hypocrite. But during all this, he's thinking back to what his father, Tuesday, was saying about having Kale talk to him when he got back. So he's a bit like, what the hell's going on? I shouldn't even be involved with you, remember? I'm the trash of the Count's family. Everyone should forget about me. Then after he takes care of his business with the man-eating tree, he goes back down and a merchant comes up to him and says, we have a lot of bread. And he was very impressed with this lady because even with original Kale's reputation, she was still willing to come up with him because the gold coin he gives people was probably their whole week salary. After this, more merchants came out to sell him things, and he was like, no wonder this is why the Hinitos territory was doing so well, because they had such amazing vendors and merchants and people who just knew business. And these gold coins are worth one million kalons, so everyone really wanted that money. And Ron had been saying how interesting Kale had been lately. So Pete goes to spy on him. And he was thinking it might be just as fun to watch Kale as it is to watch the black-haired punk, also known as Cheon. And this was a real turnaround in Pete and Kale's relationship because before, Pete never cared about Kale. And it turns out the bastard son of the Flynn Merchant Guild is also spying on Kale. Like, he cannot get a rest. And the Flynn Merchant Guild had contacted Pangol, saying they wanted him to become their subordinate again, and pretty much their dog and watch the house. Then, when Kale goes back to the Manning Tree again. He gives them medicine instead. And there's the little girl is just there mumbling it isn't bread over and over. Which is quite funny. We also get another peek at Kale's past as Kim Roksu. Where we learn he was an orphan. Well, we knew he was an orphan. He didn't have anything to his name. And that was why there were a lot of people who showed poor Kim Roksu a lot of sympathy. Is there a reason... To show sympathy for the needy. It was something he'd heard all the time when he was younger. Young beggar, poor orphan, you don't need a reason to show sympathy. There was a time where he just took that at face value, but he started to understand the real meaning as he got older. There wasn't a logical reason for the things your heart draws to do. You didn't need a reason. So, apparently, he didn't like seeing young children being hurt. But he wasn't going to help them at all, even though he gave them medicine. Then this is where Kale goes to the Count's study, and he learns that the Count wants him to go to the capital as the family's representative. And Kale's just like, what the heck? I didn't go in the original novel. Why am I going now? But it's then that he realized he was supposed to be beaten to a pulp 
very soon before the event, which is why he couldn't go. But since he didn't, his brother won't be going, and he should be going instead. And his brother is even saying, like, you have the right to go, even though Kale's like, I haven't gone for years, and you've been taking over everything. Why should I go now? But the real thing that stuck out to Kale was the big event hosted by the Crown is when the Plaza Terror incident happens, where the secret organization commits a terrorist act when many of the citizens of the capital are gathered in one place. In the original novel, Cheon blocks half of their plot, and it's the fourth time Cheon comes in contact with him. This is when Kale decides that Cheon can do something for him, and to do that first, he needs an interview. Kale asks him, simple, are you capable of protecting people instead of killing people? But Kale asks, can you kill someone? And Cheon answered, absolutely. So Kale goes, then you should be able to protect people as well. This is definitely a turning point in Cheon's character compared to the original Cheon in The Birth of a Hero. So Kale decides to bring him with him to the capital, saying all you need to do is on the way meet up with Rosalind and Locke future members of his hero group from the birth of the hero. That's it for this episode. I've just finished analyzing chapters 1 to 10 of Trash of the Count's Family. I'm super interested to hear about their journey to the capital and what happens along the way. And I can't wait for Kale to finally get his ancient power, the indestructible shield.